This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann, and I am with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani. Well, she is, I'm not. And this is our 200th show. That's amazing. When we said we'd do the show for a couple of weeks, we didn't quite think that it would go on for quite so long, but maybe we didn't think the pandemic was going to go on for quite so long. We didn't, but I recall saying to you as we headed up to 50, oh, we'll get to 50 shows, and you said no. And then 50 was sailed past, and I said, oh, do you reckon we'll get to 100 shows? You said no. (laughs) (laughs) Then 150, and now we've just got 200, so we might as well just keep going. Yeah, forever. (laughs) (laughs) The pandemic will end eventually, and life will return to something resembling normal around the world. But we'll then have some other reason to be having these conversations. Okay. Who <laughs> is lucky number 200? Lucky number 200 is the very, very amazing Bex Mackay, who um, is a youth, acti- a youth advocate, a community activist, and a rebel with a cause, actually many causes, if you want something done in your community, ask Bex, she'll do it. And she'll <laughs> do it really well. And I love that about her. And it's really awesome to have you here today, Bex. And I really, on the Wednesday night, I go to Mountain Bike Club and Bex is often there with her children and friend. And I get to sit and talk to her. And it um, it actually fills me up with when someone is so passionate about the community as you are. Thank you. So is this a case of if you want something done, you ask a busy person, Bex? Yeah, potentially. I mean, I think I'm surrounded by so many passionate people and um, and that just feeds me and I love to help. And um, I've been acquiring skills through the years as I've tried to tackle projects with people. Um, but yeah, I definitely have a problem with um, recognising my limitations. I haven't reached my limitations yet, but I'm sure it's just a matter of time. But yeah, saying no 
that's something I've got to work on. So, Bex, how was your bubble life, if you can remember that far back? But we're still in a bubble. It's just a big <laughs> bubble. Um, well, it started off hugely devastating because I was about 20 minutes away from the airport. Um, I was going to fly to Melbourne to do a little presentation at a conference, um, public health one, but about this project, Youth of Kōpiopio. And then spend most of the week just with a friend. I anticipated lots of like, uh, you know, rooftop bars and art and culture and shopping. So I was very much looking forward to that because I was in the middle of Sustainable Backyards Month, which I was organising, and I'd worked myself into a state. So I needed that. Um, so 20 minutes from the airport, um, Jacinda announced that we had to voluntary, voluntarily quarantine. So that was quite devastating for me because I kind of knew while suspected all the um, these events I was organising would be prevented from going ahead, but I couldn't not, you know, I couldn't go to Melbourne and risk that. Oh, and also risk bringing COVID back, of course. So, um, so it started like that and um, I'm a very social person too. So I was quite distressed about not being able to hang out with my friends all the time. Um, and be with my family for so much of the time. Um, but then I eased into it. I did a little bit of work um, as an administrator in our drive-through testing station. Um, so I was, you know, my Grey's Anatomy dreams were coming true at the time. And it's easy to um, joke about this because of how fortunate we were in Pakitani um, in terms of the impact of COVID. Um, and yeah, and then I got on my bike a lot with my children and um, explored and um, particularly spent a lot of time uh, near Awatapu Lagoon. Um, our playgrounds obviously were blocked off, but there was nature's playground there. I really appreciated that and I appreciated connecting with people on bikes on the other side of the road and, and just seeing so many whanau out, learning what was possible when our roads were safe. So then um, me and a couple of friends decided to pick a fight um, with the council and uh, start a petition um, for safer streets because we've been waiting many, many years for um, the cycling and infrastructure that's required to make um, all our flat streets safe so that we can move across our community like we should be able to in Pakitani. Um, so we got a whole bunch of signatures, got heaps of endorsements from other uh, various organisations um, and spoke on Zoom to the councillors and um, didn't really get anywhere but got an invite to um, a planning session for the Innovative Streets uh, funding that came out from Waka Kotahi as a result of a global pandemic. Um, which is all about reimagining our streets. Um, so participated in that and um, I was really just um, speaking to a lot of projects that um, around placemaking in Kupiopio that we had been developing with Rangatahi over the last um, couple of years. Um, and then that became um, an opportunity. The funding application was successful. Um, and in that funding application, originally I was asked to donate more of my free time. And I said no. Like, um, and 
I also said actually I think that the council is not necessarily the right organisation to come into Kopiopio after years of neglect in that space um, to work with youth and the community to do this and um, they were responsive they said yes and they um, have and that decision has enabled us to make a lot of these projects happen over the last and continue to happen um, and that's where I find myself now kind of like semi-employed um, the ripple effects of COVID and uh, safer streets campaigning um, as it were at the time which is all I could really sink my teeth into was it easier to further than you asked <laughs> Was it easier to campaign for safer streets when you just had a good demonstration of safer streets? During the lockdown, nobody was driving. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, that's, that's what we thought. I mean, I that definitely influenced the numbers cycling across our community because there wasn't any cars. Um, so it was safe. So that's what we wanted to ride. And we, we didn't want to lose that momentum for our community, They, I think they were able to recognise that, hey, our kids could cycle to school if cars were going slower or if there weren't as many cars on the road. Um, potentially we could get to work, we could pick up shopping. Um, all these things that were just too hard basket before COVID, um, but we got to um, try out during lockdown. It sounds as though you certainly saw the lockdown as an opportunity you could have seen it as a as a bad thing that was happening are you a positive person yeah yeah i'm very positive um and i'm always just looking for opportunities to um fight the system kind of thing um and stand up for what I think is right or what I think could be better. Um, and yeah, I think COVID gave me time to slow down. I definitely felt exhausted um, from doing far too much for far too long. So just stopping, let that kind of hit me. Um, and it, you know, like many people supported me to reevaluate the pace of the life that I was living. But it also, um, you know, reminded me about what is important and that is people um, and our future and um, yeah and then and then I started a few good practices um, like reading which I hadn't been doing for a long time and um, things like that which just helped me get into a more informed and rested space to keep this um, momentum going I guess. Now, I'm going to take the first of your music choices, Sleeping at Last, Atlas 7. Why this one? <laughs> well, that's something that happened over the past year too. Um, so I guess I was, I had come out of a job um, and I guess I was reflecting and doubting myself and, and whether, why was I always raging against the machine or... Um, yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking, is there a different way to be? And then um, there's this thing. There's this, I don't even know what to call it, but I discovered it was called the Enneagram. And I think it's a little bit like a personality test, but it's kind of like how you see the world, not how the world sees you. And um, 
So I, I started venturing a little bit more, reading a bit more. It's endless. From what I understand, it, it came about, I'm not a details person, but I think it came about um, from the desert mothers and fathers that kind of left civilization uh, in the early, after Christ maybe, and then the St. Franciscans developed some more. Anyway, I discovered my type, and I'm a type 8 and with a wing 7. And then um, I listened to some podcasts and discovered this artist who has songs for each type. And then I just connected with those songs. How nice it'd be if we could try everything. I'm serious. Let's make a list and just begin. What about danger? So what, what about risk? Let's climb this mountain before we cross that bridge. Cause I'm restless. I'm restless. I'm restless. Whatever comes next. How
I remember a time during the lockdown that we were out walking on the hill behind our place and we had just walked up the hill and then down the, the road to get back and we hadn't seen a single car moving. And we, I remember distinctly saying, this is really nice. But I bet you, and it was just before the end of lockdown, I bet you next Thursday, these roads are full again. Why are we doing that? Is it some kind of addiction to running around being busy? Yeah. Yeah, I think that is it. And we, and we resist change, don't we? Or a lot of people do. Um, but I was so encouraged by what was coming through social media about waters clearing up and air and... Um, yeah, it seemed like a really good opportunity to reset and, you know, be reminded of what's important. Not go back, but on the other hand, I feel like, and it's not that I wanted us to suffer at all, but it's like we didn't suffer enough. It was like we just had a breather and then we went back to the machine cranked up again and it's the same old, same old strategies, certainly at a local government level. That's what it felt like. After that reset, some people were talking about a recovery. Other people were using other words, uh, regeneration. How did you see it? Yeah, I just, oh, I don't feel like we've, we're yet moving. Maybe it's just really a slow start. It's like redirecting a giant ship or whatever. Um, I, you know, probably people have been swayed more than we realise. Um, but we are, we've got to fight a culture of busyness and, um, you know, I don't know, just these economies that separate us and things, politics and things like that. So there's a lot of work to be done and we've got to be brave and we've got to support each other and collaborate with compassion to um, to achieve something. But yeah, I'd hoped because I know that a lot of our young people feel a lot of anxiety about the lack of action that they're seeing from the adults around them when it comes to the climate and things like that. Um, so I hope they're seeing a little bit more. But, you know, like this funding becoming available to reimagine our streets for people and well-being and the environment, not just cars and parking, you know, that's a great opportunity. But we've got to see it through and we've got to make the courageous decisions, not do like, you know, just sit on the fence trying to keep everyone happy. I think at some point we have to decide what are our values for our future, you know, and think ahead like that and just make the hard decisions. When I was in Whakatane a couple of weeks ago, we were put on a, a barbecue. I was there, I done some swimming. And people were talking about the potential for developing, I think it's the, the flood banks near the centre of town. And whoever it was that was talking about it said, We've, we're trying to do it, but everywhere we move, people complain about car parks. Mm. And we're just taking car parks away. And I just like, I, I don't know if it was an inward groan or if it was a, a, an actual verbalised one, because it's the same stuff we get here. So we talk about all this nice stuff. We talk about redeveloping community and better streets and reimagining and collaborating. But when it comes down to it, you do anything and people want to know how many car parks they're going to lose. Yeah, 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 it's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting because it's just kind of preventing 
progress or preventing um, that opportunity. We're so defensive, and I get that it comes from a place like um, that people are concerned about their livelihoods, their children, and you know their opportunities. But I think we need to, you know, be more connected as communities and think about the well-being of everybody. You know, think about our communities, um, not just for shopping. Our CBD, not just a place for commerce, but for a place where um, mental health can be promoted, um, where people are encouraged to come in. And you know, shopping will be a byproduct, but there's something more to come in for and we've got to trust us like our business owners have to trust themselves and the ones to come as well that you know they've got the entrepreneurial means and spirit to adjust to whatever comes but we can't stay back in the 70s you know what I mean just because this is working now and it's not even working something needs to change do you think it these sorts of arguments have had a shot in the arm the shot in the arm that we're all going to get hope soon hopefully from the focus on well-being because people talked about well-being when was the first well-being budget it was like three years ago and i kind of got the feeling that everybody said yeah that's nice but show me the money and i think that what the pandemic really did was bring it to the fore it really showed this is something we're quite serious about we can manage on the basis manage the country on the basis of well-being yeah Definitely, and we could, the money was there, wasn't it? It was produced when something was important, but then you hear, don't we have the worst domestic violence rates in the world, you know? We've lost more people to that, um, and, and that the money's not turning up to that. Why do you think Be Kind was so successful, given that? given that we have got that underbelly. Was was Be Kind something that we would like to associate with? Is that something we see as our identity? Be it by being kind. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to hope so. I think that is the, the answer. You know, I think the future, it needs to be collaborative and we need to be compassionate with one another. And um, I mean, that's certainly what I try to teach my children. You know, were you kind today? And um, that that is a measure of success, I think, um, raising this next generation to see things from different people's perspectives um, and, and to have hope that things could be better, be different, even if they're great for us, you know, for some of us. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokadui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mrahanui, kia koutou, kotahoho. Hope you all have the stars. Wherever you are, this journey, we're all on you and what each day you are. Try it off now. So know that for all of us, has been really revolutionary. Great time of great learning, as all the has been. Was it erupt to being billions of and I think all of us, you know, new phase, we are having to acknowledge that for us here and are in this state of unparalleled freedom since we emerged from lockdown apart. But for the rest of things, aren't. and thank God is God, all of us, technology with those we love all over the world and of course every day in all various parts of the world. I'm so grateful I can. But I know for all of us that it's very different what we have before. And look back at our history of species. 
we have men to do the four on a, on a bigger picture as a species we have many loved ones along but of course now in our own lifetimes is an unknown we're heading in and how do we deal with the unknown it is frightening at the same time also we are here because of and at all times many levels of our being and because of intelligent aspect that is making growth develop possible we can't consciously understand it connect with it all time to trust it and i think if we look around us of course the beautiful living world we see the same process that grow development to take place at a pace may not be stood immediately that may be contained and hidden unknown way that a tree a flower a hen, a bird, a tuckahir, a jordikosh, all these life forms. Every life form is partly and blooming from a point conscious, but also as part of this known process that is based trust. So I really hope wherever you're at today, you can feel that sense around you and see of growth and co-evolution. Feel that sense of reassurance and safety and trust that we're part of and we will get through. Thanks. You too. You're listening to the 200th episode of blowing bubbles we are talking with bex mckay bex um um, my work that i'm doing for my doctorate is focused on imagination and it's an amazing thing to be looking at but i hear this term so much in community development which is reimagining and and I just sometimes want, sometimes I look at the the result of reimagining and I don't see a lot of imagination. What does reimagining mean to you? And and are people truly reimagining or just regurgitating the status quo? Mm. Well, I think when it comes to youth, from our experience, um, they've got so many incredible ideas because I don't think they're limited yet. Um, the way that we are. Um, they, they're not bogged down in the despair that some of us who are working in that space can feel constantly negotiating from no. Um, and that's what we've we've certainly found because we don't have the ideas up our sleeves. Um, but, yeah, when you ask rangatahi um, and really give them space to explore um, why something is the way it is, um, how it could be different. They just bring so many awesome ideas. And then it's just about, like, they want help achieving those. So it's just about surrounding them with that support or listening and creating an environment that's going to support them to get where where they see the future being. And I find that their ideas are good for all of us, not just for themselves and, and their mates. They're actually good for all of our community which is really encouraging as we move forward. That's really positive. Do you think that our youth feel frustrated when they see decisions being made for them without them? Um, I, I, yeah, I think, I think they're interested in politics, but um, they find it quite mystifying. And I don't think uh, enough effort has been made to... Um, support them um their being able to be politically active and engaged you know right from a young age not just when they're ready to vote uh, or legally able to vote um yeah so certainly the ones that are motivated definitely get frustrated pretty quickly because when you're asked what you think and then you don't see a response you know 
Um, and, and the long game, I certainly struggle with it. I'm not a very patient person and I don't think a lot of our kids are. So they do lose interest and they move on. And that's a real loss because, you know, when kids are thinking about the future, the environment, um, when they're wanting to um, talk to our decision makers who certainly aren't representative, so they're really um, uh, keen to have that corridor, I think. Um, yeah, it can be really despairing, I think. We've certainly shown them in the last year that we can achieve stuff if we really want to. So they're not going to take no for an answer. No, I hope not. I like how you describe it as the the feeling of constantly negotiating from no. On that basis, the kids should be experts at doing the sorts of stuff that you do. Isn't that what kids do all the time? <laughs> I'm sure they do that with their teachers. Um, we just need to bridge that gap into local government and um, central government, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a it was a thing I learned a lot later in life that you can negotiate from no, and that you in fact that's how where you start. Um, yeah, but I just I think our kids aren't involved in the co-design or co-delivery or the governance shared governance of public spaces that belong to them as much as they belong to anybody else. So it's in those little ways that we can really empower them. Um, and I think we have a responsibility to do that. Um, and that really will build their capacity and capability to um, drive the work, you know. We're not very good at involving kids in things that really matter. My daughter is halfway through her master's on um, involving dis kids with disabilities in decisions about their own lives. Because we... Mm -hmm we medicalize and and assume that they don't care or assume that well, their input doesn't matter so how do we change that kind of attitude yeah well i think what i'm certainly seeing here is there's such a separation across our community um we've seen years and years of investment in Fakatani cbd we've been told what's good for Fakatani cbd is good for kukupiopio uh, it'll flow through, um, you know, okay, this is it. This is the last thing that we're going to do, and then we'll start focusing on the other communities of the district. And, you know, we've got $9.6 million PGF funding, um, and, and then another 500000 from Innovative Street. So it just doesn't seem to stop, and I don't think that we're seeing the repercussions, you know. Whānau aren't being uplifted um, across the district and across our community here either um, and so I don't I just don't think you know we're not we're not um, mixed mixed we don't have a, such a variety of people diverse people um, with different perspectives mingling talking um, sharing our spaces sharing life and um, whakatane together so it's just not changing people can avoid anything that makes them uncomfortable um yeah it just it's i think young people i think um a lot of the people that occupy are made to feel that they are lesser than and they're showing that 
um, constantly in, in the way money is applied, uh, invested um, across our communities. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of change. Um, and just but acknowledging it, I mean, this is a system that I think is designed to prevent change. So it needs to, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there, but people just need to, um, <coughs> yeah, just, I, I don't know, make, make some different deliberate meaningful decisions about how they spend their money, how they spend their time, um, where they spend their time. And that's what I think COVID was really teaching us, you know, and then, but it just got too easy to slip back into those patterns. This is even making sense. It is making sense. <laughs> you do a whole variety of different things about di direct change stuff with the council, but also a lot of community engagement work. And I'm thinking of things like the sustainable backyards. Who's who's the target? Does it matter if you're preaching to the choir, or is it is it worth it just to keep those people that are already convinced, energized? Um, I think my real passion is for the youth and for kōpiōpiō, um, but I generally don't get paid for that. Sustainable backyards, I mean, I have been compelled to care a lot more about the environment through the um, relationships I've developed living in Whakatane. There's so many amazing people. Um, so I'm very much on a learning journey in that space, but I'm a networker, I'm a connector, I seem to be able to um, run events and things like that. So that's kind of where that is. Youth of Kupiopio is my real passion, I think, because um, I was a teacher, so I guess I had an interest in um, youth education and empowerment. Earlier on, I was a health teacher, so um, older well-being um, was really important and making the healthy um, choice, the safe and easy choice for people. Um, is super important. Um, and then, oh, we've just been given kind of a cool opportunity because Kupiopu has been so neglected for so long and no one seems to care what happens there and there's never any funding for youth or for um, Kupiopu. So we just had to do it ourselves. So, you know, I was just lucky to connect with a lot of um, other people with different perspectives, different skill sets, different relationships. Um, you know, and we we try to work it into our mahi and um, and just play the long game, um, and yeah, just get the work done and keep advocating and keep promoting that youth voice. I remember the minute was like a switch was flipped. Was just a kid who grew up strong enough to pick this armor up and suddenly fit. So long ago, long ago, long ago I was little, I was weak and perfectly naive And I grew up too quick Now you won't see all that I have to lose And all I've lost in the fight to protect it I won't Yeah. 
We've seen lots of societal change over the last almost year. What do you think will stick and what do you hope will stick? Um, well, I feel like, well, I, I don't know. I guess for me and, and other people close to me, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, watching that unfold, during lockdown and since was really um wow it just took my breath away a wee bit you know and really challenged me um in terms of you know anti-racism and and being an ally and white saviorism and all these different things it's really made me pull back and reflect on how i do the work 
but also challenge me to do the work, you know, ha have the uncomfortable conversations with family members or just stand up to that, um, which when you're, you know, so privileged you can avoid a lot of that a lot of the time, you know, and just keep the peace and things like that. But I hope that we're getting wins and the stuff is getting enough airtime, you know, and that we're connecting um, with each other, um, you know, and, and doing, finding our place in it and, and doing that work together to get the wins to really change things. I really hope that society looks really different for our kids. What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response to those longer term questions, intergenerational questions, climate change, social injustice, the sorts of things that we can't just fix by just going home for the for a few weeks? Yeah. Um well, I think the the main thing is we're told so many times that we can't, that's too hard, that won't work. Um, so we keep the status quo going, but we kind of, everything changed, didn't it? Everything that we were told we couldn't do because um, it would never work, um, we were forced to do, and we did it. And, you know, and there were a lot of employers who were amazing at, you know, acknowledging families at home and... Um, and, you know, I think when you feel valued, connected and secure as an employee or as a person, you're more resilient and you um, give more as well. So um, we learned that things could be different. We saw things change in the environment across the world. So it gave us a bit of hope, you know, because we keep hearing these messages that we're running out of time really, really quickly. Um, you know, I guess our children have had just such a, bizarre experience um so that you know know things to be quite different um from one year to the next um so, oh, i just hope that we go back to those moments where we were like well how do i actually well this is what i felt how do i actually want to live my life and spend my money and spend my time and what's important and what's not and stick to that and keep chipping away at that um, yeah and hopefully we just all, all come together so I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time to do it so we shall have to be quick what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years okay so when we started the Youth Your project which is all about youth voice the youth have been telling us forever that they wanted a space, you know, a youth space for themselves. And so we really entertained that idea um, and, and really developed that concept as a physical space. At the same time, we held it a bit loosely because uh, we didn't have the funding, but also um, because we don't think that there should only be one place in a community, one physical space where youth are valued, connected, secure, where their well-being is nurtured, their aspirations are nurtured. That should be everywhere. They should be able to feel those things and achieve those things anywhere that they are. And I think through technology and placemaking, that could be achieved. Anyway, so the space was called conceptually Be Long, B-E colon long. And it was about obviously belonging, but it was also about spending longer together 
in Kopiopio because youth were telling us it is a place you don't think about, it is a place you go through on your way to somewhere else you'd rather be. So that's what it was about. Anyway, um, through the Innovative Streets funding and through relationships and hustle, we've managed to get the council to take a lease on an old lot that's just been decaying for years, a green space in the middle of Kupiupio, um that's been fenced off. And in the last um, couple of months, um, everything's just been evolving in a bit of a living design process. And we've um, created murals, we've um, done, you know, kind of gardening and cavities that are decaying everywhere, growing kai, we're like doing bee pollinating meadows and mowing pathways through we've got a skate ramp that we can move um, and pallet furniture, a teepee and shade structures we were doing yesterday um, in the garden. And it's been um, just really incredible because the youth, um, come into the space and the community come into the space. What can we do? Um, the youth tell us what they want and then we just create it together. And um, it's just so empowering and it's so special that that's happening and it's showing what the community and the youth can deliver when we work together and we say yes and we find solutions instead of saying no and look for the barriers. And that space is leading to a lot more work and. Um, it's just a real symbol of transformation. That and, sounds um, very yeah, that's awesome. That's what I'm high on at the moment. Yeah, I can see why. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in the team, our team. What is the superpower that has got you into the mansion? Superpower? Rage? <laughs> I think using using rage, learning to use rage as a fuel, you know, <laughs> um, and and learning and accepting that rage is an appropriate response to some of the oppression that's going on and injustices. Um, so it's not something to be suppressed, something to be released in a positive way for change. And doing that without turning green. Yeah. <laughs> Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, certainly, I wouldn't have said yes before COVID. Um, but that I've had that space to uh, review my space in the world, how I see the world, how I see myself, how I see that word, that action, because that's what activism is. Um, and yeah, I think that that is the work that I've been doing for a while now. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's who I am. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, hope, but not, you know, the soft, fluffy kind of um, view we can um, be lulled into thinking it is. Hope that's like, I've heard it described, you know, it's the axe to break down the door in a fog fire that's what hope is and i think things could be different and i think that i'm capable of uh, being a piece in the puzzle to make things different so i get up to do that and to find the other people that we need in our puzzle and what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so um just what challenge am i looking forward to 
Um, just, I think, continuing to grow in confidence, um, just having new experiences because, like I said earlier, I have to contort myself into all sorts of things to deliver this work. One day I'm bracing offence, um, another day I'm yelling at the mayor, um, and another day I'm taking a course on environmental education because it seems to fit whatever we're doing right now. So, um, yeah, I feel like uh, leaning into that is, and, and all those strengths, um, I know it was hard to explain what what I do um, at the introduction, and I'm still don't know either. But I know that um, <laughs> I'm awesome, got heaps of skills, <laughs> and I can help. <laughs> and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, I'm just wondering. I don't know. There's there's a quote because I read this book. Five Rules for Rebellion. Let's Change the World Ourselves by Sophie Walker. Um, so this is a quote that was inspiring. Can I read that? You can. We need new activists. We need new campaigners. We need new ideas. We need new spaces for new leaders and new ideas to find one another. We need to think about what leadership is and how more than one person can lead at the same time and how collectively we can inspire each other to step up. We need to make room for people to try and fail and be able to talk about making mistakes or simply wonder aloud for a while what the answers might be. Sounds like good advice to me. Thank you for that. Mawira. <laughs> Um, I've borrowed from the Lorax before and I'll say it again because it's ages since I said it and ages since I felt inclined to but unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot nothing's going to get better it's not and thank you for caring so much and for all that you do and I hope that you can continue to be the inspiration that you are in our community for many years to come Kia
You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from the fabulous Tahu McKenzie. This is Tiki Tane's Summertime. At the start of the show, we had Prince 200 Balloons. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I have been joined today by Moira Karatai and Bex McKay in Fakatani. For the 200th time, we hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.